You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. This afternoon, we're taking a look at two topics which have dominated the current affairs gender on the Isle of Man over recent weeks. Until one o'clock, we looked to the sea, reflecting on recent developments for the Queen Scallop fishing industry on the island. And until two o'clock, we look to the land, as results from a recent public consultation on medicinal cannabis and industrial hemp have been published. So last month, the results of that consultation into the use of cannabis got a number of people very excited about the implications it could have on potential law changes. None more so than our live guest for this hour, Mr Jeff Ditchfield, who we will hear from shortly. But first, some background. Over 3,000 respondents took part in the consultation into the medicinal use of the drug, with 95% supporting the introduction of cultivation and processing of cannabis on the island, subject to suitable regulation. Meanwhile, 97% of those who responded to that consultation into the industrial use of the crop supported the creation of a regulatory framework with within which hemp could be produced on the island. The authority tasked with informing this debate from a governmental point of view is the island's Public Health Directorate. It's been involved in the research of cannabis over the last three years after the lead responsibility for substance misuse was passed from Home Affairs to the Department of Health and Social Care. In this area, as Director of Public Health, Dr Henrietta Hewitt was tasked with looking at the drug for medical use as well as its potential for being cultivated as industrial hemp, all whilst giving consideration to the attitudes and evidence towards cannabis and possible decriminalisation. The public consultation formed part of the next step of that process. Was it appropriate then that the public were asked to give their views on drug policy for the Isle of Man? Aaron Ibanez asked Dr Hewitt what is so exceptional about the cannabis debate that licensed this survey. I think that's an interesting question. It was not my decision. Uh, It was a political decision and it was appropriately taken by the politicians who have the remit for that. So to that extent, public health was just the um, element of public service that was charged with taking it forward. Sure, you you were involved um, in supplying the evidence um, particularly in the sort of the content section of that consultation. And we talk about evidence. In that three years, we could, we could talk about perhaps prior to cannabis coming into your remit. What was your, what was your, your stance on it? Um, my stance on everything is always agnostic. There are three positions on just about any topic you like to think about, really, which is a neutral one. The issue is neither beneficial nor harmful. Um, And then there are potentially the other two options, the issue, the benefits outweigh the harms, or the other way, the harms outweigh the benefit. And whenever one looks at evidence, one should set up the review in such a way that one is open to all three of those possibilities. And there are formal methodologies to ensure that one does that without inadvertently leading oneself or others down one particular element of that. And that was followed by us. So we have reviewed the best available literature on the medicinal use of cannabis and that obviously went into the the paper that was published publicly to support the consultation. You talk about the perhaps not necessarily dearth but a a, a limited information on the trial aspect of cannabis but cannabis is something that's been around for, for centuries 
and notions of it perhaps being new to the medical profession is 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 one argument but culturally it's been prevalent for for hundreds of years well yes indeed i mean alcohol would be the big parallel there mm. um there are very well known harms of alcohol but as a society we tolerate it because we think that you know with responsible drinking it can be a pleasure and the downsides are deemed acceptable to society yeah. now I, su- i suppose what i was trying to say was yeah. that, it, that it's cannabis isn't new i no, suppose no 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 I, I, and i agree with you but i think what we need to be careful about is that we don't make a cultural acceptability decision dressed up as a medical one that the two are different and obviously you'll, you'll probably be aware that canada has gone down uh, a line of opening up the whole legal framework for cannabis not just medicinal but also recreational and if that's something that any government anywhere wants to explore that is perfectly legitimate but what we shouldn't be doing is kind of dressing it up as a, oh the medicinal benefits are so well known that it must be made available on that basis because we have to be cautious about that. Sure. And obviously during this ag- agnostic period as you referred to it within those three years of research, um I imagine a lot of trawling through research papers, um science papers etc etc. Did you encounter or did you decide to pursue real life case studies or or come across anecdotes locally on the Isle of Man of people using cannabis and their yes. experiences of it? Yes, those are always put forward some claims I find deeply troubling. I have seen claims that cannabis can cure cancer. There is no evidence for that at all and I think people putting that out as a claim in the public domain it's it's not fair. It's not substantiated and you know potentially it raises expectation in people who have, you know, enough to deal with if they're dealing with cancer without being told things like that as well anecdote isn't evidence you can always find anecdotes for just about anything including you know miracle cures if that's where your belief system lies um but we can't make decisions either as medical licensing authorities or as bodies responsible for funding treatments available on the NHS off the back of that That was Dr Henrietta Hewitt from Public Health there speaking to Aaron Ibanez. Now is probably a good time to mention an invitation to appear live on the programme uh, to Dr Hewitt as well as the Health Minister David Ashford and Dr Alex Allinson was extended. Unfortunately, none of those people were available. We are joined live in the studio by a self-styled cannabis consultant, uh, Jeff Ditchfield. Um, good afternoon, first of all. Good afternoon. Um, why do you tell people... that cannabis can cure cancer can you give us a an introduction to that first i've never um used the word cure it can be an effective treatment and there's a big difference between treatments and cure some people use uh, cannabis preparations to treat the symptoms of their illness and some use it to directly um treat their illness so it's it's more about about management of of symptoms than in that case It's a mixture of it's a mixture of both because I've met people who have uh, consumed cannabis to directly treat their cancer as well as their symptoms and it, some people um have gone into remission and with them having no other treatments it has to be put down to the cannabis and the preparations they've taken. Are there other examples of that on the island? Are there case studies of people you've met here? 
Um, not on the island, because it's still f- fairly new to the island, but uh, over in the UK mainland and certainly throughout the world, I'm aware of many cases. The most striking in the UK is the case of a, of a, of a young man called Darren Blackwell, who was given three days to live when his mum started administering cannabis oil to him. And long story short, five years later, he's not dead, he's totally in remission, and he's leading a normal life. So what's, what's brought you to the Isle of Man? Because um, we've spoken to you a couple of times now. What what was that sort of born from? Um, I came over to the Isle of Man when I first heard that the Manx government were looking at um, into regulating and making cannabis available. And then I heard about the consultation. I was a little bit disappointed that the uh, questions I seemed um, in the consultation were quite loaded. And um, But despite that, there was an overwhelming result from the people of the Isle of Man that they want change and they want access to cannabis. Um, loaded in what way, do you think? Um, seems to be loaded in the way the questions were. There seems to be a effort and a drive in um, the Isle of Man administration to follow the UK. And that was a question that surprised me was that to fully follow the UK. Now, less than 2.5% of people in the consultation voted to follow the UK. So I think that's a clear message that the Isle of Man needs to develop its own policy and not follow anyone else, certainly not the UK. Can you can you appreciate the caution, though, on what is obviously a very big issue? I mean, if the island does take a big step in legislative reform, that is a big step for, for a small jurisdiction. It's a very big step, but it's well within the jurisdiction. Um, Other countries and small countries throughout the world have done it. Um, The island of St. Vincent, for example, in the Caribbean, population of less than 100,000, they've made medicinal cannabis available. So is Jamaica, where I'm doing a lot of my research these days. So it would be a bold step, certainly, for uh, people in the Isle of Man. But I've been approached since last year when I first came here on this subject by a very nice young lady who's got terminal cancer and she wanted assistance and she wanted to consume cannabis to treat her illness. So that puts me in a very difficult situation. She's breaking me to break, uh, she's asking me to break Manx law. Now why should this young lady be in that situation? You've given an example of another sort of comparable jurisdiction. Why do you feel change was implemented there and and perhaps is less difficult to do so here? Is, is that a cultural thing perhaps? Possibly. I, th- I think in the smaller jurisdictions or the smaller countries where um, the politicians are closer to their people, that it seems to be things are moving more quickly. As I said, small islands in the Caribbean. And here in Jamaica, uh, sorry, here in the Isle of Man, um, it's very possible because it's within uh, your power to change the law because you have your own Misuse of Drugs Act. You don't have to follow the UK Misuse of Drugs Act. Um, coming back to the 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 argument or the view that that cannabis products can be used to treat the symptoms of cancer, if if there are truth in these claims and if it's working for people, why has it not become more accepted in medical circles? Do you think? I think it's mainly because doctors have been taught a very simple message that illegal drugs are bad and prescription drugs are good, and that is far too simplistic. Also. Doctors don't learn anything or any clinicians learn anything about cannabis and its medicinal benefits throughout their training. For example, human bodies, we all have an endocannabinoid system. 
doctors don't know about this. This is why someone like me with no medical qualifications ends up lecturing at the Royal College of GPs and universities to doctors who basically should be lecturing to me. So you, you have no medical qualifications and no sort of clinical experience. Is that, is that fair? For yes. Sure? Yeah. So, I mean, why, why should people listen, I guess, is the question. Well, it's a case of I research um, cannabinoids, cannabis, cannabis plants and its medicinal benefits. That's throughout history. Research is going on throughout the world now. And there is um, lab studies and evidence to indicate that um, THC, for example, and CBD can directly attack and kill cancer cells. That was discovered by Professor Manuel Guzman at Madrid University nearly 15 years ago. And interesting enough, in Spain, they are conducting human trials into treating uh, sufferers of glioblastomas, uh, brain tumours, with cannabis, which is mainly an, an extract of THC and CBD post-surgery in conjunction with uh, chemotherapy. But if that's 15 years ago, why haven't we seen the change already? Main problem is, is because every country in the world has a Misuse of Drugs Act, which is based on UN conventions, main one being um, UN Convention of 1961. So this is why the Manx Misuse of Drugs Act is more or less a copy of the UK one, which is the same as the Dangerous Drugs Act in Jamaica, because they're all based on the UN conventions. And it, it was deemed for many years that cannabis had no medicinal benefits. And that obviously is incorrect. Now, politics needs to catch up with the science, and this is what people want. They want access to this effective medicine, which has been used for thousands of years. So w whether it be in the UK or on the Isle of Man um, or, or elsewhere, what, what communication have you had with, with medical professionals then? Um, here on the Isle of Man or, or, or well, worldwide? Both. both. Well, I've, I've lectured throughout the world to um, medical um, professionals. I get consultated. Um, consultations are sought uh, privately by doctors, um, even urologists. So I, I advise a, a wide range of uh, clinicians on uh, cannabinoids and their potential medical benefits and the treatments. And what's the reception been like? Mixed, um, mixed I presume? Um, very positive. Um, a lot of doctors um, feel that they should have the power to prescribe uh, cannabis and cannabis preparations, but they all admit that they lack the knowledge and they have no confidence in doing so. Quite a few doctors have um, contacted me privately because so many doctors these days are getting contacted by their customers, uh, some patients who want um, access to cannabis uh, medicines. And I've also had um, contact from GPs here on the Isle of Man as well. Um, tell us a bit more about some of the conversations you've had here then. Um, so you say GPs have been in touch. Yes, I've had a, a conversation with a number of GPs on the island who all want to know more about the subject, um, but they don't know where to begin. They don't learn about it in their training. Um, there's no advice being uh, given by um, their governing bodies. But interestingly enough, from the consultation, 50, over 55% 50, of respondents said that they um, wanted to get cannabis and medicinal cannabis from dispensaries like they do in America and not necessarily from their GP. So what's what's the current legislative framework? Because am I right in thinking that medicinal cannabis is accessible in, in extreme circumstances at the minute? Is that is that true? Um, in the UK, the um, law changed and the regulations changed the 1st of November last year, which I think apply here, which basically allow um, 
certain neurologists and consultants to prescribe cannabis for certain conditions. So it's very, very restrictive. But doctors over here, for example, in the Isle of Man, have, had, have been able to prescribe what's known as Sativex, which is a cannabis um, extract made by GW Pharmaceuticals in the UK. They've been able to prescribe that. But NICE, who um, advise doctors, say that it's not cost effective. So it, it's very, very difficult. Their hands are tied. They can, they can only prescribe Sativex, which NICE won't endorse because they say it's not cost effective. But then they also um, um, don't have the knowledge to prescribe cannabis in its raw form, which, again, some people want. So if they have the ability to provide a Sativex, was it? Is that right? Yes. Has, has that happened? Have there been many instances, whether it be in the UK I, or, or here? I'm not aware of anyone on the Isle of Man who has obtained Sativex, but in the UK uh, there are a few hundred patients, and it's only licensed for MS in uh, UK mainland. And there are over 80,000 MS sufferers, but less than 200 of them are actually being prescribed uh, Sativex. But that's on a cost basis. They say it's too expensive. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Je- Jeff Ditchfield, so far. The Nation Station, Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Time now to hear some more from the Director of Public Health, Dr Henrietta Hewitt. She says the consultation wasn't unbiased because of the self-selection of respondents, but does admit it still has value. Certainly, I think that the, the feeling from that was that there should be a lighter touch towards medicinal cannabis. Um, as I said before, I think we have to come back to what we mean by medicinal cannabis because if we are saying it has as good evidence behind it as any any drug that has a license then that is absolutely not the case and I think we have to be very careful in terms of what we might expect from doctors because I am a doctor and I would not be happy to prescribe medicinal cannabis for any patient because I have no experience of the drug. And whereas for any licensed drug, I can look it up in the British National Formulary. I can find out what the license is for, what the evidence to support that license is, what contraindications I should check for, what side effects, what drug interactions, etc. I should be on the lookout for. And I can have that conversation with the patient and both the patient and I as the prescribing doctor can know exactly where we stand and what the evidence is. For cannabis, I couldn't. And I suspect a lot of other doctors would feel similarly that they do not have the governance support to enable them to to safely prescribe cannabis or to take responsibility for any adverse things that could happen as a result of that. What have your discussions been like with GPs and, and doctors in, in that community and their general response, not only to the, to the consultation, but their, their general stance on cannabis? What, what is that? I think that varies hugely between individuals, just as it would, you know, with a group of the public. And I don't think doctors are any different. So is there a consensus amongst doctors on the island? Not that I am aware of. One of the things that we will have to do, and we've been doing these things in sequential stages, we need to see where the government is minded to go off the basis of the evidence reviews and the response to public consultation. 
And I think there, particularly if they are minded to explore further a framework for prescribing cannabis for medical use, and there are different ways of doing that and different models from different countries, then that's the point at which we would need to do some really detailed work with the medical profession, both primary care and secondary, to really understand how they feel about it and to understand what training and governance frameworks they would need to have in place before they would feel safe, if I can put it that way, in being involved with prescribing medicinal cannabis. So is this very much obviously baby steps from from your point of view and is, is it something that you would like to to keep close within the department and advise whether it be would awareness sessions or, or training or, or, or any of that type or is it purely waiting on the political decision now? Um, it's the political decision we're waiting on next as to what they would like to explore further. That was Dr Henrietta Hewitt of Public Health there speaking with Aaron Ibanez. Um, joining me in the studio we have Mr Jeff Ditchfield. Um, we've heard you speak a bit and then we've heard Dr Hewitt speak a bit there about the evidence base currently available. Um, Tell us a bit about about what that sort of involves and what that is made up of, if you could. There's um, many positive um, studies been done throughout the world over many, many years. Quite a few of them into cancer, for example, um, are lab studies. And they haven't progressed yet so much into full clinical trials due to the general prohibition of cannabis with um, cannabis being in known as what is Schedule 1 of the Misuse of Drugs, Drugs Act alongside um, LSD and MDMA deeming, deeming it to have no medicinal value. So that is a political decision which I agree with um, Dr. Ewart needs to be taken by the politicians. They need to grow some and they need to change the law so that people can access this now. And the baby steps that Dr. Ewart is talking about, well, some people, like the young lady I mentioned um, earlier to you, um, Offer, who, who is on the Isle of Man, who has terminal cancer, nothing more Dr. Hewitt or any other doctor in the UK can do for her. She's basically been told to go home, enjoy what time she's got left. Now, she wants to explore medicinal cannabis. I know that she's been accessing and using medicinal cannabis here on the island, but she's got enough to worry about having a terminal disease leaving behind a young family than to worry about facing up to 14 years in prison and also the people who are assisting her now she's getting great benefit from this these these are her own words and she's hopeful that there will be a positive outcome for her so you've mentioned a bit about the, the requirement for clinical trials is that in your eyes the next step really is to to build up a, a, a larger evidence base if you like well, the evidence is out there. What we need to do now is go straight to clinical trials and make it available to people. And what what should stop happening here on the Isle of Man, and this can, this can happen tomorrow, is stop arresting people who are cultivating cannabis, who are processing cannabis to treat their own illnesses. Stop it. I don't believe any police officer in the Isle of Man joined the police force to arrest someone who's seriously ill because they're growing a few cannabis plants. It's ridiculous. We also heard Dr. Hewitt talk a bit about um, potential adverse effects of using, whether it be cannabis or cannabis derivatives. Are you aware of any of those? Yes, I'm aware of um, much, um, a lot of research. And um, interesting enough, when she was talking about contraindications, the main one that I'm aware of is that um, THC can actually make morphine more effective. 
So that's something that doctors need to be aware of, we're certainly aware of, and we make sure that people who are consuming cannabis to treat pain, who are being prescribed morphine, we make them aware of that possible contraindication. But as I said, people want access to this now. Now, how do I say to a young lady who contacts me who says, Jeff, I've been given less than six months to live, how do I tell her she's got time to wait or, or there's baby steps coming along? She hasn't got time. But if doctors feel that there isn't the evidence base or isn't the experience required perhaps to to prescribe any derivatives, um, perhaps they feel there isn't enough work to, to establish what exactly those adverse effects are as well. Would that be fair? Well, possibly, but the adverse effect for, the, for this young lady, for example, is death. That's, that, that's pretty severe side effect of cancer, is dying. So... I don't know what what Dr. Ewart or indeed any other medical profession would be more concerned about. And quite a few um, sufferers of terminal and serious, serious illnesses have told me that since they've been consuming cannabis oil, their doctors have told them off the record to carry on what you're doing because it's obviously doing you some good. But separate issue here, stop arresting people for doing it. Stop taking their cannabis plants. Stop taking them to court. Do you sympathise with doctors at all? We'll, we'll come to sort of the home affairs discussion in a bit, but do you, do you sympathise with medical professionals in, in the environment they're currently working in? I certainly do. They're, they're between a rock and a hard place because they have um, patients coming in who um, want access to this, they want to know more about it, doctors who want to help their patients, give them a better quality of life, treat their illnesses effectively, don't know enough about this so they're on the front line and I think the politicians have put the doctors in this um, terrible situation where they've raised the expectations of the public and seriously ill people and left doctors without any backup or knowledge to face um, the inquiries and I I think what people should do, certainly people who are ill or have Ill, Ill relatives, they should go and, as well as seeing their GPs, they should go and see their MHKs, tell them what they want. The results of the online consultation have been very conclusive. Less than less than 2.5% want to follow the UK. Now in the UK for example, you have some private clinics which have opened up to prescribe cannabis and there's one in Manchester which is charging £900 for an ounce of cannabis. So if you are rich enough to get a private consultation from this private clinic, you can get a prescription for one ounce of cannabis. Whereas if you can't afford that, what option do you have? If you if you cultivate your own cannabis, which is the same as the one you get for 900 pounds, or you buy it from your dealer for 250 pounds, well, you're committing an offense, you could lose your job, you could even have your children taken into care. It's a terrible situation for seriously ill people to be in, and they should not be in that situation in my view. So how do you increase that availability with, without breaking the law? Is it a case of, is it a question of training? Well, certainly doctors need um, education and they need this in their training. But doctors who've qualified, as I said earlier, they haven't learned anything throughout their training about the endocannabinoid system. They need to, all doctors, current and doctors in training and including pharmacy, pharmacy students as well, all clinicians need Um, education but they need education on the facts and not from the sales pitch from some of these uh, pharmaceutical companies like GW Pharmaceuticals who are trying to 
if you like, monopolize the um, market. But what, as I say, what could happen is decriminalize it. If the chief constable announced that none of his officers are going to arrest people from now on for consuming cannabis medicinally, well, that would that would free up a lot of people. And he he doesn't have the power to do that, though, does he? Um, he? He has the power to decide what are priorities for his force. So if he decides that um, cannabis is not a priority and he sends that message to his police officers, every police officer has the power of discretion. So a police officer could decide, do I want to take that um, cancer sufferer's five cannabis plants and leave them to suffer? That is a, a decision a police officer can make now. Coming back to um, the legislative framework, you've said that you don't think the UK's model is one to follow. Um, what other jurisdictions could the Isle of Man be following and why? Well, it's not, it's not a case of what I think. It's a case of what the, the people who respond to this consultation, the people of the Isle of Man think. Less than 2.5% of them want to follow the UK. So they don't want private clinics dispensing cannabis at £900 an ounce. Um, Professor Mike Barnes, who's opened a private clinic in Manchester, uh, who is charging £200 for a consultation and £700 for an ounce of weed, so that's £900 for a month's supply, effectively, privately. I know he's been over here to the, to the Isle of Man. He's met with um, officials from your government. Um, Dr Ewart, uh, Henrietta, um, has told me personally that she has been over to the UK. She's visited GW Pharmaceuticals. She's seen their grow operations. So I'm very interested in, I'm sure the people of the Isle of Man are, is how many of these private companies and other companies have got vested interests coming over here, speaking with officials? Who are they? What what, what are they putting forward? Because um, the people of the Isle of Man, as I said, have made it very clear what they want. Over 55% want access to it from dispensaries. 97% of people on the Isle of Man want Manx weed produced here and Manx cannabis available through Manx dispensaries. That is not following the UK model. I believe I'm right in saying we've heard the Health Minister David Ashford say the department's been approached, I think, by some private companies or private individuals. Are you aware of any, of any bids, I suppose, if that's the right word, that have been made? I'm not aware of any specifics, but um, it, it's like David Ashford has said that um, um, his department and also the Department of uh, Enterprise have also been approached. But who they've been approached by, what they've been approached about, I'm unsure. And I think that um, the people of the, of the Isle of Man need to know, and I'd certainly be interested in knowing who has approached them and what are they approaching them about. Now, when this consultation opened, we, we ran a programme. Um, we were joined by the Health Minister, David Ashford. One thing we spoke about a bit there, um, which would probably be useful to touch upon again now, was what products, cannabis derivatives, are available legally on the market now. Are you able to give us a bit of an insight into what the rules are as, as we speak, if you like? Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to. Uh, the Misuse of Drugs Act um, is a specific act uh, relating to obviously drugs it's not that complicated but it's a very interesting piece of legislation now there are 97 individual cannabinoids that have been um, identified by the advisory council on the misuse of drugs in the uk and of them 97 cannabinoids 12 are actually illegal so for example cbd 
which is one cannabinoid which has um, anti-inflammatory properties and um, possibly some anti-cancer properties and various other benefits that uh, in its isolated form is not a controlled compound it's not a legal drug but to cultivate cannabis and then to process it to extract CBD to do so without a license is an offense under the Misuse of Drugs Act this is why CBD isn't being produced here in the Isle of Man or indeed in the UK to any great extent and it has to be imported from abroad and as I said earlier people of the Isle of Man don't want to import cannabinoids they want them produced here on the island and that could happen very easily but we do see CBD products on the shelves in the shops on the island already yes um, tell us a bit about what's available even if it's not made here what can we currently access now there are various various products and again due to the ra- uh, lack of uh, regulation and uh, regulate uh, regulation and legislation there's a lot of interested bodies the MHRA for example are have made it very clear that people cannot make medicinal claims for um, any CBD or any any cannabis products well, yet sorry what what is the MHRA um, it's the medical health regulatory authority which um, make sure that people aren't um, making false claims in relation to medicines. Now, CBD has been classified as a novel food. So if someone is saying, if you buy this CBD product in, it will treat your headache or treat your aches and pains, that's a medical claim. And then the MHRA could get involved and take action against people. But, for example, on my last trip here, um, last month, I went into Holland and Barrett in Douglas, and I purchased a few items off the shelf there containing CBD. I took them across to the UK. I had them tested at a lab, and two of the items that I purchased are actually illegal here, according to the Manx Misuse of Drugs Act. One of them, for example, is Holland and Barrett's own uh, product, which they call uh, Holland and Barrett's Serum. Now, they describe this as super concentrated. Now, to me, that's getting very, very close to pushing it as a as making medicinal claims. But interesting enough, the actual analysis at the lab of the contents of this super concentrated Holland and Barrett serum, um, it contained THC, it contained small levels of CBN, another illegal cannabinoid, and a very, very small amount of CBD. But interestingly enough, this serum that uh, Holland and Barrett describe as super concentrated, as well as breaking Manx Misuse of Drugs Act, it also only contains 0.03% cannabinoids. That is a ridiculously low amount. I wouldn't even class that as homeopathic. That would be a bit like licking an aspirin and, and expecting it to treat a headache. Thank you very much indeed, Jeff Titchfield, for joining us on the programme this afternoon. We are sadly running out of time. Join us on next week's episode of Perspective following the Chief Constable's annual report. He joins us along with the Minister and the Chief Executive from the Home Affairs. The Nation Station, Radio.